Welcome back to Foster Adopt Minnesota's Let's Talk, a podcast that brings you valuable resources for prospective and current adoptive and foster families, as well as professionals. My name is Sunny, and I'm an education coordinator here at Foster Adopt Minnesota. And I'm Chris, also an education coordinator here at FAM. Today we are chatting with Madeline Lohman and Mel Alvar, two experts in human trafficking. Madeline Lohman is the Associate Program Director for Training and Technical Assistance with the Advocates for Human Rights. Mel Alvar is a community advocate, public health educator, and human trafficking subject matter expert from Duluth, Minnesota. Mel and Madeline, thank you so much for being with us today. Welcome. Thanks. It was great. To, it's great to be here. So glad to yeah. be here, Mel and all of you. Yeah, thanks so much. Great. Good to have yeah, you with thanks. us. Thanks. So, Madeline, please tell us a little bit about the work you do. Yeah, I'm associate director with the Advocates for Human Rights. And um, the work that I do is actually even bigger than me. The Advocates for Human Rights has been working on human trafficking um, really since Minnesota passed its first labor trafficking and sex trafficking laws in 2005. So we've been part of the coalitions that um, helped evaluate those laws. We did a report back in 2008 on why Minnesota wasn't using its human trafficking laws. And out of that report, uh, the entire movement fought for effective criminal penalties, training for law enforcement, and the development of services and safety for victims of trafficking. It's a fight that's still ongoing. We still do that work today. Um, My specialty within that is training, technical assistance, research, protocol development. And I focus um, a little more on labor trafficking than on sex trafficking, because that's something that was not part of the original push that Minnesota had to address human trafficking. The initial focus was really on sex trafficking. So I'm trying to bring a little bit more of the labor trafficking to the fore. So that's where our organization has been And I know that Mel has been part of that work as well. So it's really great to be here with her and talking about this. Yeah, I can touch a little bit. I I do more localized work. Um, I'm from Duluth. I've been doing community advocacy, grassroots organizing around gender-based violence probably since like the early 2000s. So I didn't come into the field, so to speak, because like once that veil is kind of pulled back on what human trafficking is, um, I learned about it when I was in college. It was actually a third world women's class. Um, I graduated from UMD in 2013, and that's where um, I had started working with uh, the local sexual assault program. And I was just blown away. And actually, little did I know it was um, a part of my own experience that didn't come out uh, to me until actually recently, until I started doing some healing work. So um, this is a really important topic to be raising awareness about. So I just am so thankful to be here raising more awareness, because certainly in my own experience, I I didn't have the language for what I was experiencing. And that's um, that's really a piece of this is helping to kind of break it down to that human level experience because there's just so much um, that's happening with it. So a lot of the work that I do is very localized around Duluth, um, connected to community organizations. And I just am kind of 
always been like that go-to gal if you're going through something and you're, you're looking for support or some services like I just have kind of always been that um, around Duluth where I grew up so great and thanks to both of you for sharing and you know we re we're recording in January which is human trafficking awareness month so it's great to have both of you representing the field and the work you do um, and it just doesn't end in January so it's you know a all year long. So thanks for that. So let's get started with some questions. So what are some important facts and statistics about human trafficking? I mean, I think the most important thing is to really just understand what it is. There's a lot of, you know, I think impressions that people get from the media and from social media on what human trafficking is that might not be totally accurate. So the the heart of human trafficking is really a relationship of power and control that you're extracting something from someone. Um, in Minnesota, legally, uh, how that works is that if someone is being sold for sex and there's a third party involved, we say that's sex trafficking. We just assume that 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 there's going to be coercion. And it can be really, really difficult when um, talking to people who are experiencing sex trafficking for them to recognize that as part of their experience. So we just say from a legal perspective, we don't need to know, you know, what's going on in that relationship. We're just categorizing it as sex trafficking. So if there's any um, person being sold for sex and a third party's profiting from it or setting it up or transporting the person or facilitating it anyway, that's sex trafficking. Um, labor trafficking uh, is a little more uh, complicated in that we really need to show the coercion to distinguish it from like just a job. Uh, so what we need to see in labor trafficking is that the trafficker um, is controlling the person maybe through a debt saying you have to work for me for free until you've paid off this debt and the debt you know, magically never goes away. So the person just has to keep working forever. Um, or they're threatening them or they're actually physically abusing them. Um, we've had ones where uh, the person was, you know, being sexually assaulted as part of the coercion to keep them working um, or threatened with arrest or deportation um, are all parts of this. It can also be um, like sort of blackmail. I know, you know, you you gave me these photos and now I'm going to expose you if you don't participate in what I want you to do. And the idea is that the person's exerting that control, you know, to get some kind of labor or services or sexual services out of the person. And so that can be, you know, work for my construction company, it can be clean my house, it can be deal these drugs, all of those things can count as human trafficking. It doesn't mean that the person is locked up somewhere, or um, has been brought here from somewhere else, you can be trafficked in your own home community. Um, it doesn't require like kidnapping, the movie Taken is not an accurate representation of human trafficking. It really is about are you being controlled or manipulated or trapped into doing some kind of labor or services that you don't want to? 
and in uh, selling sex, that means, is there a third party? So those are sort of the things that we look for. And just to add to that, um, too, I think it's really important to recognize that the legal definitions and things we have for human trafficking are really narrow, right? It's to determine who the victims are, who who gets the right to services if this is happening to them. Um, and I think similar to sexual violence, we have to almost we have to look at human trafficking as the spectrum. We are learning more and more as we think about that grounding piece that Madeline was talking about that control and power being used to exploit somebody for their vulnerabilities that can be people can be on different sides of what a vulnerability is right and so as a person i may see them as well my vulnerabilities mean that means i'm weak and what we're trying to do in the community is actually help folks look at it as like well this is where we can build in protection this is where we can build strengths and resiliency and really looking at it that from that positive side of like, it just might mean we, yeah, we do need to connect to help for a little bit more things, but, and where can we get that support? Um, but going back to um, that really narrow form, I think it's important to look at it as a spectrum. It intersects with so many different forms of violence. Madeline um, touched on um, like the debt bondage piece. Another core that I think is really important to be talking about right now is economic coercion that can, lead folks to make decisions to get their needs met in ways that we may not if if we're not faced with with that piece of it so if i if i don't have enough money to feed my children what am i going to do i'm going to go to the ends of the earth and that may put me in some really vulnerable situations to be taken advantage of so it's really important to look at this again as that like people are trying to get their basic needs met they don't have that community care um, there's a lot of privilege in getting all of your needs met. If you haven't ever had to think about that, um, that's where some of these folks are coming from, um, is there are bad actors out there who are looking to fill that need to create dependency. And that's how this can show up and people get in it. And then they're like, I don't even know how I got here because here one day I was trying to, you know, do this and I didn't see what their motivation or their intention was on the other side. Um, so it's really being self-aware um, and those connections that we have if people are, you know, looking at their own situation. And again, if you've never had to do that, then bless, you're blessed, right? Um, they're, they, these folks, uh, well, and this can happen to anybody. We should, I should also mention that is it again, it's really looking at those immediate vulnerabilities. Who is it doesn't have that community care and support. Um, we've heard from the research, it might've been safe Harbor voices of safe Harbor that youth were saying, like, if I just had one positive adult in my life that I could have reached out to, like, maybe that's all I needed someone who was checking in on me so that's what these exploiters and these traffickers are looking for is those folks who don't have people looking out for them um and so when it comes to statistics and data i get i get stuck um because i know a lot of folks get stuck on that um and my community work people are always asking like tell me the rates what is this you know how many times is this happening and it is so hard um because there are so many reasons people are not talking about it a because they probably don't recognize that it's happening. 
Um, and B, are we just looking at law enforcement reports? Are we just, where is that data coming from? Um, because there's, there's huge gaps um, in the data, there's limitations to data, um, and we really don't have an answer for, for exactly, you know, the exact numbers of how it's showing up because of that expansiveness. Well, I'm sure people wow. who are being threatened or um, in a vulnerable situation aren't just going to say, oh, yeah, I have a trafficker here. <laughs> you know, it's not something they're just going to disclose to anyone. Oh, yeah, sure. it's not even part of their... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Mel. Yeah. Um, I, I just thought it, it wouldn't occur to them to be in their vocabulary. Oh, I'm being trafficked because it's so non-quantifiable. Yeah, Didn't that's exactly it. That's absolutely true. And I think Mel was describing some of the ways people end up there that they, you know, they're desperate for something they're looking. And so they might make what they think is an initial choice. Like, okay, I'll do that because I need a place to stay. So I'll agree to, you know, sleep with you or sleep with your friends in order to have a place to stay. And so in their mind, they don't think that it's trafficking because they didn't get forced into it. They made an initial choice. And they may even think I'm staying in it voluntarily because to them, their options are I'd have to report this person to the police. Or if I didn't have this job, you know, cleaning this house, I'd be homeless. Or, you know, if I didn't keep working for this construction company that is paying me, you know, a tenth of what I should be making, I'd get deported and I'd have to go back to my home country that's dangerous. And, you know, we spent a lot of money to get me here and now I can't stay. And so a lot of times people, you know, initially think about it as something that they're sort of choosing to do, even though they also simultaneously feel a little trapped. They think, oh, I'm trapped by like life. But if you look deeper, they're trapped by what the trafficker is doing. Um, mm -hmm. and so it's really hard for people to notice that it's happening to themselves, which is one reason I think why, you know, I, and I'm sure Mel too, thinks that podcasts like this are so important is that for, for the work that we do, we, um, help immigrants who are being trafficked and need help to stay in the country. And our clients, almost all of them, someone else identified what was happening and connected them to us and said, mm -hmm. I think you can get help. I think something's wrong here. And that outside person noticing that something's wrong is the key to, to helping people who are in a trafficking situation. Yes. Okay. Wow. Thank you for those distinctions. Um, you both of you tell us a little bit about what motivates you to work in your respective fields. Mm, I can start with that. This is my heart's my heart's work. Um, I, for as long as I can remember, have been really connected to um, the sexual violence movement. Um, I guess I'll start with that. Just coming out about my own experience as a teenager just sh showed me how much it was happening and I, I couldn't turn away from it. Um, I felt like I had to learn more about how to raise awareness about fe people feeling safe in their bodies, having rights to body autonomy. Um, 
and that I do believe that like awareness on like what options you have is a human right. Um, like I started in comprehensive sex education and was just like, why doesn't everybody know this information? Um, and so, so there's a, a really a lot more that I could say that motivates me, but I truly believe also in a future free from violence. That's how I sustain in this work. I have to believe that I'm, we are working towards um towards that and that we all have a place in this work i can literally connect this issue to any other thing happening in a community and show folks those intersections it's all connected it is not happening in a vacuum um and i'm also very motivated by the resiliency um there is just so much life and light in folks um that i think it's forgotten um, and just making sure that their voices get elevated, that they remember their power, because I think that's something else in the movement where we say, like, giving voice to the voiceless. No, they've always had a voice. Um, they just haven't been given the opportunity to talk about their experience. Um, and so, so yeah, that, that resiliency piece, I believe, um, that fire that burns within people to keep fighting. And then also, I, I do believe, as Madeline had mentioned, like, resiliency is also about in our connection to each other that safe connection that we can support each other through this and i think those are the keys um so that's what keeps keeps me motivated yeah i think mel and i are uh, a little utopian here because uh clues clues in my organization's name the advocates for human rights i am deeply committed to human rights for all people which is being able to live with dignity uh freedom justice equality and peace and trafficking is one of those issues that like violates every basic human right you can have but also the causes of trafficking are really deeply linked to not respecting human rights so when we don't protect children and adults from abuse when we make it's so difficult to get housing or health care or an income to support your family those things are what fuel trafficking and our willingness to sort of distinguish between people that are worth help and people who aren't worth help like that's against everything that human rights is for so in my mind like the struggle for human rights addresses trafficking trafficking like combating trafficking bolsters human rights it's all interconnected to me so wanting that like society of justice and dignity for all people like it's all connected to me and that's that's where I come from and I think one of the things that as Mel said is so great about the trafficking movement is there's been this recognition that like maybe we need to shut up and step back and let the people whose voices haven't been heard step forward and that's happened and it's just been so amazing to see them claim their space and be those leaders that it's a great space to be in. I have chills. I feel like I've been in church. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> the two of you. Wow. Okay. Um, beautiful. Beautiful. All right. So next question. What are some warning signs that someone might be trafficked? Yeah, I think we, we kind of covered it a teeny bit, but recognizing that this can, this can be a process. It can happen. It really will depend on the situation. So I guess if we're speaking more generally, it's important to know 
um, that typically there is like a, a grooming process. So like someone is identified as a potential person that um, the trafficker is looking for those vulnerabilities to take advantage of, to exploit with the intention of exploiting and abusing. Um, so that grooming process, uh, if it's happening online, it can happen within seconds, right? Um, I've, I've heard the scenario of like, you could be doing the dishes and your child is being groomed online um, within eight minutes or eight seconds or something like that. Um, so this, uh, as Madeline had mentioned too, that it's not always happening by kidnapping. Um, that can happen. That's not typically what I am seeing or what we're seeing in Minnesota. So that grooming process can take a long time. It can happen in intimate partner relationships. Um, my own experience, it was it, it was entangled in an intimate partner violent relationship. So that's why, like, back in the day, if I'm only seeing depictions of it being stranger kidnapping, I'm not going to identify that that's my experience or, or readily identify um, that that's uh, what's happening to me. Um, so warning signs can be, you know, if we're looking for those obvious signs of abuse, if someone is with a companion who is speaking for them, over them, if that person with them is like looking to them um, for validation that it's okay to speak, those can be some pretty obvious signs that something's off. Um, and and uh, as we've also mentioned, like people aren't being held necessarily captive all the time where they're not able to access the outside world. So they might still be going to school. They might still be, you know, engaging in other things. So pay, just paying attention to those behavior changes that may be dramatic in one way or another. Um, I also should have mentioned the caveat that we could be talking about all of these warning signs and then you meet somebody who doesn't meet any of these because their experience is is different. So there is not one just like silver bullet. Here's how you can tell if someone's being trafficked unless they disclose. That's usually my caveat um, is that red flags or potential indicators are going to be in combination with each other. It's going to depend on who that trafficker is in relationship to them, how they're meeting online or in person um, and really what their circumstances are. Um, but I'll, I'll let, I'll let you continue with that if there's anything else you want to add. Yeah, I, that was, um, I think a pretty good summary. I think the thing that we, you know, that's so difficult is that the way we find evidence of trafficking is that someone develops a trusting relationship where the person feels comfortable talking about what's happening to them because the real signs are things like, they disclose that they're not the ones making decisions about their schedule or their living space or when they can talk to people or who they can talk to or they don't have their phone. And so they don't necessarily connect that with trafficking, but you, the person who knows how trafficking works, can see you're not making your own decisions. That's not normal. Um, or someone is complaining about their job, like, and it is just out of the world bad like you didn't get paid for two weeks you're working without any safety equipment with hazardous chemicals like you don't ever get a break things that are you know it's beyond just oh your job's sort of bad it's like really significantly why are you staying in this situation it's that bad a job not always trafficking there's lots of things going on in the world that make people stay in extremely bad jobs unfortunately um, but it can be a reason, like if someone's doing something really unsafe and not getting paid and not being treated well, like 
you know, what's going on there. Um, and I think one thing is that you don't have to be the decider. Like it's not the job of people in the community to say this is definitely trafficking or this isn't trafficking. It's to say, I think there's something going on here. You seem like you might be struggling and I know who you can talk to. And so recognizing the moment when you want to connect someone to that expert or that resource that's really going to help them. Okay, thank you for the mentioning the different gradients of trafficking. That wouldn't have occurred to me until we talked to you. Um, so you mentioned that kidnapping is somewhat of a myth. So what are some other myths surrounding human trafficking? Mm, I feel like we've also, we've covered a lot of these too and how it's showing up. So first of all, human trafficking, right? That expansive spectrum. I think one of the most prominent myths is like Madeline had already mentioned that it only involves commercial sexual exploitation. Um, so recognizing that it can be both labor and commercial sexual exploitation, um, that it's only happening to women and girls, that sex trafficking, that's something that I am extremely passionate about um, creating more awareness around. We have been failing our boys um, just in the sexual violence movement um, alone, but then connected to this, I think um, we need to be recognizing that it is impacting male identified folks and gender expansive folks, people across the spectrum. Again, it's looking at those vulnerabilities. And when we have a society that says boys can't experience abuse, they should not be experiencing abuse. Um, that's creating vulnerabilities in our young men um, and how it's showing up for them. Um, cause, cause yeah, those, I don't even know if I've ever, there's only been a few times where I've gotten referrals and the only times that I, um, have, you know, come in contact with male survivors is after building significant rapport for years. Um, it takes like, I think the data shows like up to seven years for a disclosure. Um, so we need to be doing a better space, a uh, better job creating safe and brave space for men to be able to talk about this experience. Um, that uh, I think another one would be that it's only foreign happening to foreign nationals. So that's why I get so frustrated with these Hollywood movies talking about just trafficking in other countries when I'm like, here too though, here, here too. <laughs> Um, cause it's looking, it doesn't always look like that. Um, like the, like our Hollywood movies, um, show us, but that dominates the narrative, um, that it's always about transporting somebody across jurisdictions, across state lines or country borders. There's a difference between smuggling, um, and human trafficking. Someone can be involved in smuggling and then be trafficked, but that's not always, um, necessarily the exact same thing. Um, so, and as Madeline had mentioned, people can be trafficked right out of their homes. Um, but um, let's see, what else am I forgetting? Uh, oh, and that it only happens in legal, illegal and underground industries. We had a case in Duluth quite a few years ago where there was a storefront. Um, uh, I think, what was it? I think it was like a recording studio and a candy shop or something. It was a legitimate business on the outside. Um, and there's things happening within the business that um, that involve trafficking. Um, so it can be happening in broad daylight and we just, we're not identifying it or it can be connected to those underground industries as well. Um, those are some that are coming off the top of my head though. 
Yeah, I think similarly in like media kind of stuff, it's not it it's not necessarily this like you can have big criminal gangs running it. You can have like Jeffrey Epstein style rich dudes in a network being gross. Um, but that it can also be like a parent and neighbors or you know uh, a boyfriend and you know one girl or you know however just traveling around truck stops or something like it it doesn't need to be this big conspiracy to be trafficking we see trafficking every day that's like an individual preying on an individual and they don't do it with anyone else but that relationship is a trafficking relationship and so being open to that and not needing to sort of find a conspiracy to make it trafficking. Um, and then I think the other thing that can be really, really hard when we work with people in the community who are identifying trafficking is it's not an easy solve. Like it's, it's not an easy solve societally. Like how do we get rid of trafficking, but it's also not an easy solve on an individual level. Like very often when we first encounter people, they don't, think that they're victims. They don't necessarily want assistance. They are worried about what they're going to lose if they accept assistance. If it's something where someone's manipulating a relationship, like a family member or a boyfriend or a friend who can say, you know, you're doing this for me, they don't want to get that person in trouble. Um, And so a lot of resistance to actually getting the help that's offered and a lot of fear that like, if they get the help that's offered, it's going to trigger this whole cascade of like, someone's going to get arrested. Someone's going to get deported. I'm not going to have any control over this. And, you know, my life is going to be ruined just to get, you know, a couple nights in an emergency shelter. And so recognizing that even with the best of intentions, we have to, sort of move slow and like check in with the person to make sure that what our, what we're doing is truly helpful to them and that they have time and space to process what's happening to them and make decisions. Because if we, you know, rush in with an intervention before they've had time to think it through, they don't get to the point where they're like, oh, I'm a victim earlier. They just dig in on the, I'm not a victim and they never get around to rethinking it. And so how do we let people sort of find their own safety while also protecting the most vulnerable? It's such a hard question that we grapple with in trafficking all the time. Um, but that's one reason why we always say like connect with your local resources because they have that experience on like, what's a good way to talk to this person? What's the best approach? You know, if I ran into someone that I thought might be experiencing sex trafficking, I am definitely not going to start that conversation. I'm going to call Mel, who has those conversations with people and say, can you talk to them? Because you're going to know a better way to get them to lower their guard a little bit. Mm, you bring up such a important piece that I think Hollywood loves to show is like the rescue. And I think where I get most frustrated, um, enraged probably, is that <laughs> how much credit are we giving to the survivors for where they're at, right? Like they are still, they're fighting every day for their lives. 
Um, and then these movies highlight the rescue, someone coming in and rescuing them. But I want to know what what is the aftermath of that look like? That's something that Hollywood doesn't want to talk about because the healing process can be very ugly and it can be, be very hard. Um, but it is possible. And that's where exactly as Madeline was saying, like, how can I support you right now? I can make all the assumptions in the world about your experience and what I think you need right now, but that's not going to help you because the rescue just says, oh, we've taken you out of this harmful situation. Good luck. Good luck on your way. Um, and that's not reality. People, uh, again, need to be reminded of that power um, that they can be the decision makers in their own lives. And when we are just looking to the criminal justice system, um, and I'm sorry, it's not very victim centered. Um, and so sometimes that's not a realistic option for them. Um, yes, there is a public safety element to it, but it is also about this person's life. What is it gonna, what do they need to put the pieces of their life back together? um to live to live a, a life of uh health and well-being um and some folks just aren't in that place um you know it takes it takes privilege and support to move through those stages of change that's what we like to talk about too is that in the pre-contemplation stage in the beginning they're like denying they're not recognizing that they're in a victim it takes several steps to get to that action phase and if they don't have supports or resources to to make a change maybe staying in this situation right now to them is the safest because especially if it's involving an intimate partner relationship um we have data from domestic violence uh, everywhere you can see that leaving and exiting can be the most violent time um and there can be deadly consequences and then when we look at that if that person is a trafficker them leaving will lose them money so how can they stay safe and make decisions that are best for them to put things in place to to change their path um and that that can be a lot for people and again if you've never had to think about that then then blessings blessings to you because these are some of the things that people are faced with um what options do i have what safety do i have what resources do i have um, and when this has just been so embedded um, in our communities, like this is not something new. Um, it has been here since colonization. Like I'll hear that question all the time. Like, is it getting really big? Is it getting really bad? And I'm like, I hate, I hate to be the one to pull back that veil for you, but it has always been here. And it's connected to our systems and not providing certain people with the resources that they need um really looking at like what makes a community vulnerable do they have even enough resources in their community is there transportation um barriers is there language barriers like we are not getting everything that we need within our own community um sorry i feel like i went off on a tangent there but <laughs> no it was you're spot on and i was just thinking that a common theme i've heard is just one thing people can do to support others is just listen like listen to people's stories um and not judge and yeah it kind of seems like a theme throughout all of our podcasts actually people can just sit and listen and and take things in that can be a, a big support to others um and other than like listening and trying to connect people to to resources what are some other tips that our listeners could get from you to connect people to resources that would help 
Yeah, I just wanted to expand on what you had just said, though, about creating that non-judgmental space. I this is where I see it. It's so connected to the sexual violent move, violence movement is um, just listening to folks and what what they're saying they need. Some folks maybe don't want to talk to law enforcement right now. Sometimes people just need, you know, a place that they can take a nap, um, like getting those basic needs met first um can be really important so again like i already said like not like putting our assumptions aside and just holding that space for people um you know there's so much more uh resources available that you can just search um than there was i mean 10 years ago 13 years ago when i started to do my own research into this um i think it's also really important but this can also be the hardest part um is starting within our own home and having these conversations because what we haven't touched on yet um, is the buyers um, and so this is driving driving our markets for for low-cost labor for, um, for as sex buyers because um, i was getting this question a lot when covid started actually because there was a lot of misinformation out there so people were like i'm gonna call mel and see if she's seen this show up um and they're like what can i do and i was like are you having conversations in your family are you having conversations with your the kids in your home about internet safety and building those protective factors and being aware of of things um because i i really like to just hone in i don't like giving that general statement i want to know more about your life and where this can make sense because i want it to be meaningful impact um so having those conversations in the home when I did that, one woman had opened up about, you know, things that her husband was involved in. And I'm like, yeah, that's a that's an important place to start. Um, and so and, and then the other piece, too, is walking alongside folks, thinking thinking about walking alongside of them instead of um, kind of changing our lens instead of saying, like, how can I help survivors? Because, as we've said before, people who have said they can help have actually been the one to, to cause harm for some folks they've filled a need they have created a dependency so being very careful about saying i can help you because i've actually i've actually been hurt by people who have said i can help you um so how can i walk alongside you how can i support you um and like i said that path to healing can be very long so showing consistent and compassionate care to build trust but also making sure that we're setting boundaries because we also cannot be everyone for everyone unless we're doing you know having our own personal boundaries as well um i'll stop there because i'll start rambling <laughs> yeah i think mel hit on it on the the interpersonal stuff i remember you know starting in this work and realizing that there was this whole like widely accepted list of like the signs of an abusive relationship that no one had ever told me as a teenager when you'd actually need to know it. So like, what are healthy relationships? What's a uh, workplace that respects your rights? Like, what should you be able to expect if you get a job? If you decide you're going to go do door-to-door -door sales and all of a sudden you don't get to hold your own phone or your whole driver's license, you should have red flag like like little alarm bells going off in your head and how do we make sure kids know that um and then i think you know in addition to the work to do sort of in your own relationships the community 
you can connect with the places in the community that work on this. So Minnesota, one of the strengths of Minnesota is that we have invested a lot into a network of services and um, leaders on anti-trafficking. It's called Safe Harbor. And every region has someone who's a Safe Harbor regional navigator, and their job is to coordinate the trafficking response in that region. They know all the providers. They know they've worked with law enforcement. They know how law enforcement operates. They do trainings. They do outreach. And then in that region, there's probably also a housing provider and people who do supportive services and help um, individuals who want counseling or job assistance or, you know, a whole range of things. And that network is something that you can connect in with. And you don't need to wait until you have someone that you think needs help. You can say, you know, is there someone who can come speak at my church? Or I'm interested in more information. Can you send me a flyer? There's a really great curriculum that the state sponsors called Not a Number. And you can have that in a school or in a youth group. And a lot of our navigators and other Safe Harbor members are facilitators on that curriculum. So there's all of these ways that you can start that building the information, building the connections, um, making the people in your life aware that there's help out there um, so that even if they don't want to disclose to you, they know there's a place they can go that will be a safe place for them to talk. Um, and so just just connecting in with that group. Um, and it it used to be only sex trafficking, and now we have gotten some labor trafficking. So it really applies in, in all situations. Definitely a, a fantastic resource. Okay, so just, what you oh, I was just going to add to that. Um, what's really amazing about Minnesota, too, is those services are available up to age 24. Um, and many of the services that are grantees of Safe Harbor, some of them do go above the age 24. So, so sometimes there's that um, that question too of like, what age do they have to be? Really, your your navigator um, in your region, there's 12 of them with two tribal navigators as well. Um, they're they're going to be the best point of contact for for all of the questions and where you can get in if you're looking to do you know offer offer any of your talents or passions um as well um how to start having those conversations in your spaces in your workplace in your mom's group in your um you know any group any any group um i also want to mention too that uh, men as peacemakers is doing a lot of great work uh, as far as the demand side they have the don't buy it project um they offer uh oh gosh connect mm, we are connected um really honing in on that piece of like there is protection in community and we can take care of each other where violence you know there, it kind of goes along the motto of like, when we are connected as a community, violence has no place here. And that really resonates with me uh, when we're all taking care of each other, when all of our needs are getting met, um, there, there, can, there can be space for healing. Um, so just a couple of other pieces I want to mention too. Um, and there are also within that Safe Harbor Network, they folks are also working with subject matter experts who are survivor leaders in this state. Um, so that can also be an option too, but I just, with the caveat, 
that we should never be reaching out to subject matter experts to have them come and talk about their trauma anymore. Like, let's put that to bed unless that's part of their healing process. There is a whole um, survivor leadership um what would you call it? There's materials. If you want a contract with a subject matter expert, there's materials and resources for you so you can learn how to do that in a really good way. Um, because we need to move beyond just hearing about the trauma that somebody experienced and really get down to those key pieces of how we can create change in our communities. What is the what support, what does the aftermath look like? Um, and so the state um, will, from that is developing training for survivor leader development also. Um, so that's also an opportunity here, you know, and uplift those voices of folks with lived experience. Okay, thank you. Um, both of you have repeatedly said safe harbor. So if someone were to go to the Google and type in safe harbor, would they be able to figure out what you mean? They should probably add Minnesota because safe harbor is something yeah. that happens nationally because it's a movement. The reason it's called safe harbor isn't just because it's a safe place to get services. It also says that um, if you are under 18 and, you know, you're identified as someone engaged in selling sex or, you know, sexual exploitation or sex trafficking, you will not be treated as a juvenile delinquent. That used to be what would happen if they found you know, a young person who, you know, was engaged in, in commercial sex, they would say, you're a juvenile delinquent. They'd put you in the juvenile justice system. It was a really punitive approach. And they said, that doesn't work. So we're going to say that there's a safe harbor for people under age 18. And now we're working to see what does it look like for people over 18? Obviously, um, the trauma that goes with sexual exploitation doesn't end just because you turn 18. Um, and our supports for people certainly don't get better when you turn 18. So um, how do we make sure that we're giving that same sort of respect and safety to, you know, survivors of all ages? Um, and that's an ongoing conversation. But you want to so that is happening in Minnesota. It happens all over the country. So you want to make sure you're looking at Safe Harbor, Minnesota. It's run by the Minnesota Department of Health. So that's another thing that you can add if you want to see it. But if I Google Safe Harbor MN, I always get their main webpage and they have all the information about the navigators. They have a whole set of missing facts. They have um, resources for outreach. They have access to, if you are a healthcare professional, they have a specialized training for you, whole bunch of stuff. So really strongly recommend them as a resource. Um, I'm pretty easy to find. Okay, beautiful. Thank you. Um, so before we go, do you have any, either of you have any last thoughts? I think I would just want to end with just recognizing, um, again, that resilience in folks that just because they've experienced trauma doesn't mean that that's the only part of their story. They have so much more um, complex um, pieces to their life. So really, really looking to them to to guide the way, um, give them the benefit of the doubt that they are the experts in their own lives and can make decisions and should be making their decisions. And how can we walk alongside them in doing that? Um, I just really appreciate anyone listening today. Um, you're taking first steps. This is the first time um, you're hearing it and your mind is blown. Please take really good care of yourself. It's a lot to take in. 
um, once that, you know, veil is pulled back, there can, you know, you might just start seeing more and more. So look to the experts, look to the survivor subject matter experts um, with lived experience. They're, they're going to have, we're, we're not going to have all of the answers, but we're going to do our very best to point folks in the right direction. Um, and there, there are ways, um, you know, to build those protective factors in our communities. So thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, I just want to thank everyone and thank Minnesota. It's so great you guys reached out and it's been such a joy with working with you today, Mel. Um, and I, I just want to echo everything Mel had said about community that that let's strive to really have a community where, you know, if you're part of my community, I'm going to take care of you and we're all going to work together to take care of each other, to protect each other, to, you know, affirm each other's identities. Um, and just really be there for each other, because I think that's really what's going to make a difference. Okay. Thank you both great. so much for being here. Oh, yeah. Great last words to end on. If you would like to learn more from Madeline, please check out our website, fosteradoptmn.org to sign up for her live webinar presentation in April. And thank you so much for joining us today for Let's Talk. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to our podcast. And tune in again soon.